This coronavirus thing has got some of us making media resolutions as we shelter in place in lockdown or curfew or whatever our local restrictions are called. We're promising ourselves new goals and objectives when this is over. But here's the thing, this may never be over, at least not for the impending future, the foreseeability of which has shortened considerably. And it's also added a layer of unpredictability to, among other things, the military balance in different regions of the world. You're listening to the Stratpost podcast, and I'm Saurabh Joshi. Today I have with me Angad Singh, military author and project coordinator at the Observer Research Foundation here in Delhi, who wrote a piece recently beginning to analyze the impact of COVID-19 on military preparedness and consequently the challenges faced by militaries around the world in these times. Thanks for coming online, Angad. Thanks for having me, Swarup. Now, the reason I say beginning to analyze the impact is because we're in this for the long haul, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, the, the way I see it, there is no post-COVID reality to expect, per se. Uh, there was pre-COVID, and now there's COVID. And for the moment, we have to figure out how to operate in this uh, new reality, even while we hope uh, a vaccine can be found or this virus sort of burns itself out, mutated, mutates itself out of existence. Uh, you know, the most successful organizations, institutions, businesses, and of course, the military uh, will be the ones that stop treating this as a short, temporary blip and, and, and tackle it as the new reality. Because if you can tackle this COVID reality, you can more than handle the post-COVID world that we all hope will follow. So much is happening that can affect defense postures around the world. Let me quickly go through some of what's gone down recently. The US Navy is battling the contagion on both some of its most formidable warships. It's so bad that one former secretary of the Navy has gone to the extent of calling for all their vessels to be brought back to port and their personnel quarantined and tested. The French Navy is feeling the effects as well with the contagion on both their single carrier, Charles de Gaulle. President Putin has postponed the Victory Day parade. That's a big sign that all's not well in Russia. US Army parachute riggers are stitching masks. Major military exercises are going the way of the Olympics. The Indian Navy scrapped Malabar. The Aussies cancelled Pitch Black. A maritime exercise in the Baltics is likely to be next. And the Brits have put their defence review on hold. All this creates a lot of uncertainty, doesn't it? I mean, the military world is such a small part of the global scale of this pandemic. Honestly, on a, on a good day, we, you and I and people like us like to feel... Uh, that the world revolves around military issues. Uh, but this virus has really shown us how little this matters in the grand scheme of things, uh, especially when nearly every, everyone in every corner of the world is affected. Uh, I mean, you'd think that the removal of uh, a nuclear aircraft carrier's captain, uh, the resignation of a Navy secretary, things like that, would dominate the news. Uh, but those issues didn't even manage to dominate defense coverage. Uh, because this this pandemic is just, you know, so all-encompassing and so rapidly uh, changing life as we know it. Um, but, you know, all that said, the pandemic is and will continue to affect the military. And that's what we're here to discuss. Uh, this is serious business. There are no safeguards against it. Everything in response thus far has been, by definition, reactionary. And add to that the uncertainty about you know what happens next and and what comes next 
uh, and the whole military response feels like trying to hit a moving target. Uh, now, militaries excel at doing that with weapons, but uh, you know, at a policy level, I, I would hate to be a military leader wading through this mess today. And yet the world hasn't stopped spinning. No one has called a timeout to wait for the world to sort out the pandemic. They're calling it Black April in terms of oil demand. There are ceasefire violations on the line of control. The Myanmar army called off a celebration of the 75th anniversary of its revolt against the Japanese in the Second World War, but continues its attacks on ethnic armed militias in the middle of the pandemic. Russia conducted an ASAT test and Russian fighters have buzzed US Navy P-8 aircraft twice within a week. Iranian vessels harassed US Navy warships in the Persian Gulf. The Chinese PLA Navy sent an aircraft carrier group to menace Taiwan at a time when, as you pointed out in your piece, the US Navy is under pressure because of the contagion in its ranks. And then there's talk that the Chinese might be conducting secret nuclear tests. I mean, that's one way to raise the price of oil. Well, uh, not to sound uh, too grim or to make light of anything, but uh, you know, as long as you can keep your enemy at a distance... Uh, a social distance even, uh, there's nothing stopping you from carrying on business as usual. Uh, the, the, the trick right now, the priority, is to keep your own forces safe. And as long as militaries think that they are managing that, um, I don't see the Persian Gulf or Russian intercepts or really any of those situations um, changing. But any one of these could get out of hand. Again, uh, no more so than the times before COVID. I mean, China's acting the fool in the South China Sea again, sinking a Vietnamese fishing boat. Uh, but this is not new. What's unusual is that, you know, instead of being chastened by their role in this pandemic, uh, they're sticking to or even ratcheting up that uh, confrontational attitude. And with everyone looking inward, scrambling to solve their uh, domestic COVID-related problems, China sort of gets a free hand. Uh, don't forget, they were the first to get hit by the virus and consequently uh, have been the first to uh, emerge from it, or at least begin to emerge from it. And they have a lot of room to make hay, so to speak, while the rest of the world, particularly nations likelier to stand up to their military moves, to, to Chinese military moves, are otherwise occupied. Uh, a saving grace, if, if one could call it that, is Vietnam doesn't seem to have been hit hard by COVID. So there is a serious military power in the South China Sea, that is still ready and primed to stare China down to the extent that it can. As for Russia and Iran, I think their COVID issues on the home front will continue to weigh heavily on how they push things externally. So, you know, beyond, uh, you know, a little bit of confrontational uh, posture in, in the Mediterranean and the Persian Gulf, I, you know, I don't see things getting too far out of hand just based on those domestic compulsions. India has been remarkably insulated from the contagion, even now given our population. And India's armed forces seem even more impervious to the pandemic, given the cohesion of the services and their size. There are 38 positive cases and zero deaths so far. 26 of those cases are in the Navy and a frankly astounding figure of 12 cases among the 1.1 million personnel of the army. Now, you're no epidemiologist, but what's going on here? Honestly, for its size and dispersion, I'm amazed and more than anything relieved uh, that the Indian armed forces have had such limited breakouts. Uh, obviously, the you know, slightly more detached nature of the military in terms of location, housing, basing, and so on uh, has helped. 
but also the specific precautions that the Indian military has taken regarding uh, COVID-19. Um, as you say, I'm, I'm no epidemiologist or virologist, so I'm not even going to hazard a guess on that front. Um, I certainly hope uh, that the folks talking up Indian, you know, India's unique immunity and weather and things like that are right. But that's really all I'm qualified to do is hope. Defense supplies are beginning to see holdups. Although the Russians don't seem to think there will be any delays on their part, the French have delayed deliveries of the Rafals ordered by the Indian Air Force. The South Koreans are looking for import substitution for their arms purchases and have announced cuts to their defense budget. Thailand's navy has announced a 33% budget cut and the Royal Thai Army has postponed the delivery of a batch of armoured vehicles. Even the US defence supply chain is under pressure. Assuming for a moment that COVID-19 will hit India the way it's hitting many other countries, what challenges do the armed forces face in maintaining readiness when it comes to defence supplies? So I'm, I'm looking at readiness two ways. Uh, what we've got to tackle now immediately and what we are planning for in sort of the near to medium future. Uh, The immediate challenge to readiness uh, is staying the hell out of the virus's way. Uh, So far, we seem to have that handled. What we're a little hazy on is how the military will react to an outbreak if it does happen or when it does happen, Uh, particularly in operational areas, you know, along the borders, that sort of thing. The last thing we need is denial, uh, obfuscation, you know, those sort of instinctive responses. Uh, in fact, the U.S. response to the carrier cases, for example, uh, is best avoided. Um, so that, in my opinion, would be the real litmus test to how we approach this pandemic in immediate terms. Uh, out to a more distant horizon, obviously, is the issue of supply chains, economy, training, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, the, the, the U.S. Air Force uh, chief of staff has flag supply chain issues as one of the most pressing things. I think the Pentagon has said that they're looking at an average of about three-month delays across all their capital acquisition programs. Um, So while the Russians, you know, the Russian supply chain might be more than capable of meeting their delivery targets, will the training and subsequent uh, operationalization of the S-400 take more time? Uh, Because, you know, uh, travel, transport, contact of of, of Indian and, and Russian uh, crews, things like that, will be affected, obviously, by the virus. Um, on the flip side, for example, the Rafale team uh, is already training in France and will return with a number of pilots fully ops on type. So beyond the delay in arrival of those uh, aircraft in India, I'm actually a little more sanguine about the state of that program than, say, something like S-400, where we don't know what the long-term impacts to people-to-people contact and training uh, will be. Uh, What is a definite worry beyond these existing capital programs is the state of the economy and the defense budget going forward. Uh, You know, the state of domestic industry, which is increasingly important uh, in in Indian defense procurement, and the state of foreign suppliers, which, like it or not, are going to be a key element in Indian defense for a long time yet. Uh, These are uh, sort of, uh, you know, longer term question marks. Uh, India's defense budget. Uh, you know, we we don't derive good value or the best value per rupee spent. But beyond that issue, uh, India's defense budget has been a cause for concern over many years now, and there's no getting around that fact. It is simply not growing uh, to keep pace with the threat environment. And budgetary issues are flagged as the number one you know reason equipment modernization and replacement and so on has 
more or less uh, stalled. Uh, India has been banking on double-digit growth, and we keep seeing headline figures of a five trillion economy by 2024. But these simply do not look likely. I mean, they didn't look likely before the uh, before the the virus. They certainly don't look likely anymore. And with that, evaporates any chance of the defense budget getting a serious boost. So we might even see. Uh, we often see that the the effective growth of the defense budget sort of keeps pace with inflation and currency fluctuations and things like that. So you know the the relative increase in defense budgets year on year is effectively flat because of those factors. Now we might see relative or even absolute reductions in defense spending. And meanwhile, you know, the air force the air force fighter fleet is the smallest it's been in living memory. Uh, the navy is far from ticking the boxes on its own published perspective plans on things like uh, capital uh, warship procurement and, and submarines and things like that. Uh, this is the situation now, you know, before the COVID numbers come in. So the future looks more dire, not less. And finally, I want to take a look at the different ways things could pan out. The spectrum of scenarios the armed forces might have to deal with if we are faced with a more widespread outbreak of COVID-19. A bit of loud thinking while crystal gazing, perhaps. Start with Zoom. <laughs> well, you start with Zoom, sure. Uh, but that's really a symptom of uh, how neglected uh, networking and cybersecurity have been. I mean, it's it's amazing to me that the military branches and Ministry of Defense don't have a secure internal comm system in the 21st century. I mean, you know, it's I grant you, it's one of those things that that need you to more or less upend how everything functions and spend a lot of money on implementation. Uh, but my God, I mean, I certainly hope this pandemic forces in a new setup, and uh, the new uh, Department of Military Affairs is, I think, perfectly placed to push through this sort of system-wide reform. Uh, as for a larger outbreak in the military, I'd like to say that that doesn't bear thinking about. But here we are. We've seen with the French and the American navies, the maritime domain is the most vulnerable to an outbreak. If you don't have the luxury of social distancing on a 100,000-ton nuclear carrier, then what hope do smaller vessels, you know, frigates, corvettes, submarines, uh, what hope do they have? At least land establishments, Army, Navy, Air Force bases uh, are relatively isolated. Uh, it can be easier to manage breakouts if they do take place. But then you have things like training academies, war colleges, and things like that. Uh, that present you know greater challenges in terms of managing proximity uh, to civilian populations as well as denser uh, campuses and schedules that that make social distancing and and issues like that harder to manage. Uh, but I have to say here the response the the Indian military response so far does give me cause for optimism. Uh, the military approach to force protection has worked. Uh, they've prioritized force protection and it's worked really well. They've had instructions in place, I believe, as early as February uh, 2020, covering, you know, distancing, sanitation, contact tracing, that sort of thing. Uh, travel's been curtailed, work from home implemented, things like that. Uh, and these are unprecedented in, in Indian military history. And frankly, it's easy to point out that the military can be a bit of a dinosaur, you know, lumbering, slow to wake and whatnot. But here they've actually been on top of the situation in many ways that have not been obvious uh, to the public at large. Uh, you know, so clearly no news from the military in times like this anyway uh, is good news.
beyond that, uh, the economic impact is obvious, like I've already said. Um, you know, thankfully, there's a silver lining. Oil doesn't look like it's going anywhere fast. That should save the government some money in the near term. And that can be redeployed toward uh, stimulus spending. And in the end, you know, getting the national economy back on track uh, is the best way of getting the military back on track. Thanks for taking the time, Angad. My pleasure, Saurabh. You know, I always look forward to these. Angad tweets under the handle Zone5Aviation. That's a numeric five if you have more questions for him. Write in with your feedback at Stratpost on Twitter or at my personal account at Saurabh Joshi. Until next time.